Sonic Light Podcast. This is Past Master Moyer calling with my review slash critique of episode 106 entitled Valley of Harrisburg Cigar Smoker and Pig Roast. I was in attendance at that function. I drove the Grand Smoke up for the day, had a great time. Anyway, uh, in this episode, there were some really good interviews, starting with Bob and Faisal. I forget Bob's last name. Faisal's a mason from Aruba. It's very interesting to listen how long it takes to get their Scottish Rite degrees. Glad to hear that Hiram and Solomon Cigars is an official sponsor of Masonic Light Podcast. I enjoyed the interview with Lynn Baker, Second Lieutenant Commander, uh, District Deputy Grandmaster, and he's the president of the uh, Board of Governors for the Learning Center. And the last interview with John Cook was very interesting. John's doing a great job as secretary at that valley in Harrisburg. Too bad he's not at the Valley of Reading. Dutchy Doug, hilarious again with the uh, pumpkin launch story. Sorry to hear that the Schmidt and Jaeger feud is back on. Brother Cronkite was very interesting again uh, with his story from Waco, Texas, the Worshipful Master who said they had three people on the sideline. And finally, Maris, this was a really good show because you hardly said anything. But at the end, you told one of the dumbest jokes I've ever heard. Just knock it off, you putts. I'll be in touch, guys. Bye. From the new recording lair located deep beneath the Wine and Spirit Store in Ephrata, Pennsylvania. You're listening to the Masonic Light Podcast. Studio 665 presents Masonic Light Podcast. This show is recorded by Masons, for Masons, and is for entertainment purposes only. And please, no wagering. This podcast is not endorsed by any Grand Lodge, and the ridiculous ramblings of the hosts are their own. And now, here's your host. Hey everybody, welcome. Well, here we are, Masonic Late Podcast, episode number 108. <gasps> 108. Wow, 108. Wow. Holy. Um, yeah, so we've got uh, on the air with us tonight is a uh, kind of a limited cast. We have our our regulars, Tim, Jack, and Josh Lamberton. And we have our guest, Josh Gerstenlauer. Say hi, Josh Gerstenlauer. Hello there. And uh, but Larry is missing. <gasps> yeah. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. Tim, would you read Larry's email? Do you have that handy? Uh, yeah. Oh no, no, cut no HIPAA, HIPAA, dude, HIPAA. We got HIPAA. We got <laughs> something about he was looking over. He was listening to Josh's uh, reading of Pyre's lecture, and he went into vertigo. Um, no. <laughs> All right, so let's go around. So we're going to talk to Josh in a little bit about uh, Albert Pike, which is always a fun topic in Freemasonry. And us guys in the northern Masonic jurisdiction really don't know much, so uh, mm. we'll get to learn something. Yeah. So, Tim, what have you been up to Masonically? Yeah. <laughs> so um, 
you know, a lot, there've been a lot of cancellations lately. Um, the one thing that uh, I did participate in since we were last together was the Harrisburg Lodge of Perfection uh, did have a meeting um, and we had the virtual reunion, the last of the virtual reunions from the Scottish Rite of the Northern Masonic Jurisdiction on the 14th. But then, since then, it seems like there have been a lot of cancellations. The uh, Valley of Harrisburg's uh, reunion got canceled. A bunch of stuff this week got canceled. Uh, my understanding is a couple of Masonic districts in this area have pretty well shut down for a month or so. And so... That's been really about it since uh, we were last together. Jack, what have you been up to? Well, I do my usual Monday night Masonic education at the Lodge for the new candidates. So we've done that a couple of times, and they are very excited. The guys are, are learning the ritual work. They're learning the oaths and obligations the way they should. We're talking about, you know, what does this mean, that kind of stuff, and, and they're really digging it. So... That's exciting when you get positive energy back from them, you know, otherwise you sound like, you know, the, the math teacher in Ferris Bueller, you know, you're just yeah, yeah. kind of droning on. But but these guys are great. They're, they're digging it. They, they're loving the history and stuff. And in fact, Albert Pike came up. Um, it, one of the one of the candidates and entered apprentice said, um, you know, what 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 books are out there? You know, what were your first books when you, when you, when I came in, me, he's asking me. Um, and then he mentioned Born in Blood. And when I stopped laughing, um, I said, yes, that was the first book I read. And second was Morals and Dogma. So I went from the ridiculous to the sublime. And I've spent the next 15 years trying to figure out what, what happens in the middle. So, Masonically speaking... Yeah, well, it's easy to do, and, and down and around and up. But Masonically speaking, I haven't done bupkis other than that. Um, we got the letter from the District Deputy Grandmaster that District 1 is uh, geschlossen. Uh, and I go, gesundheit. And um, so we're just going to you know take it how it comes, I guess. Uh, I, I, I suggested that we use the, uh, the, the black... Um, uh, Knight's Quarantine Jewels as the past master's jewels for 2020. I think that's a great idea. I think we should. Yeah, and actually, I, I, I forgot one thing. Um, I did go to Grotto this past week um, where our very own Jack got elected treasurer. In absentia. In absentia, <laughs> although I understand that uh, the uh, current office holder is refusing to concede. and uh, He's asking for a recount. Yeah, <laughs> No, he, he he drove by my house and threw the shit out the window. That's what happened. No, he's been very gracious, and um, it, it, it just uh, it needs more attention than he has time for right now. So it's a good change, and hopefully I'll be able to launder all the money successfully. Josh, um, Josh Lamberton, what's going on with you at the uh, and the Masonic Center? Uh, I have no idea. I don't know. Um, I, I guess, uh, yeah, we're not meeting there, obviously. I know that. So You're not meeting anywhere right now, bro. Right. <laughs> and you're going to stay worship a master until some time. Yeah, so. so, yeah, I'll be worshipful master next year as well. Oof. But the, you said about the uh, Knight's Quarantine Jewel. Does that mean I actually get one? 
Mm. You will get one in the studio. I'll br- I'm gonna bring oh, a, a, crickets, crickets. <laughs> I'll, I'll bring a bunch into the studio if we ever get back there. What was the point uh, of was, me earning uh, one if everybody gets them for free? Oh! Well, I'm pretty sure our I'm pretty sure our Josh earned it. He did the the what the second biggest part in the thing. Oh my God! Yeah, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) That wasn't directed at Josh. Just it sounds like there's a lot of there's a lot of medals being handed out here. Oh man, dude! Our friend, okay. Josh, thanks for joining us today. Uh, we'll be back next week with. <laughs> so, so, Josh Gerstenlauer, what have you have you been, you've been doing anything masonically? Uh, uh so uh, this year with everything being crazy, uh, York Wright chapters kind of all, you know, we don't have a lot of active members uh, that at our meetings, so we kind of agreed that it would be best to not meet and. Uh, Hey, no cases in York, right? Uh, that's all I got to say. Um, but uh, we're trying to. Con- <laughs> no. Um, so uh, our officers are going to stay the same. So I'm also going to remain as a uh, high priest next year. Uh, only thing I have going on Masonically right now uh, is I'm really, really deep into Albert Pike's head and I'm, I did present uh, in one video, it was almost two hours, uh, where I I was trying to get my ideas out. It was a little repetitive. I was very tired, long day. I don't know what grade, probably second grade, maybe kindergarten if it was a bad day. But but, uh, the second uh, (laughs) video is probably going to be very little of me talking and mostly just uh, presenting the the little pieces that I've picked out, uh, and chunks, actually. Uh, from some of his books uh, to kind of give actual textual evidence for my, uh, the things I was expressing in the original video. So, well, we can't wait to hear what those were. We, yeah. We're looking for the 30 minute. We're looking for the 30 minute version. This evening. <laughs> funny, funny. Yeah. Tonight I, I made sure to take notes on the, the two possible, uh, topics for tonight so that we can keep it nice and crispy uh very very small um and we'll make we'll uh, make sure that to hit all the marks i actually thought that uh uh the uh, the thoughts for tonight were very good so whenever we get to that we'll we'll talk about pike okay uh, just I, know that if you start reading anything you are being discombobulated no no reading no reading okay all right good. so and, and just like the emmys i have your music to hook you off the stage already <laughs> <laughs> there it is we're playing you out so um anyway what have i been up to so we, i did grotto the other night um i guess the craziest thing right now is uh i'm secretary also known as scribe for tall cedars and it's my first year so tim doesn't have any sympathy for me but because it's only 200 members but uh <laughs> <laughs> the checks are just rolling in and all the checks for for different amounts and they all want the money to go to different places so our dues is 35 so but you know they'll be like send five to the tall cedar foundation send five to, as a booster and you know i kind of want to do good by these people put it in the right places but it's a it's a pain in the ass so <laughs> they'll never know never know 
Yeah, that stupid obligation I took, I gotta oh, try damn it. Follow it. Damn these obligations. All right, well, let's take a quick break and we'll come back and we'll talk to Josh Kirsten Lauer on his great uncle Albert Pike. Why choose George J. Grove and Sons for your next home improvement project? At George J. Grove and Sons, we've built our reputation on quality and trust for more than 50 years. For planning to materials to installation, George J. Grove promises a home improvement experience second to none. Whether your goal is reducing energy costs, decreasing maintenance, updating curb appeal, or simply increasing the value of your home, the George J. Grove team will recommend and provide solutions that stand the test of time. Call 717-393-0859 for an estimate or visit us at georgejgrove.com. Before we get to tonight's interview with uh, Josh Gerstenlauer, just want to let everybody know that tonight's episode is being brought to you by our Patreons. Um, and you too can be a Patreon by going to www.patreon.com slash Masonic Light Podcast. And for as little as $1 a month. One damn dollar. Just a dollar. You can keep this high-level content coming to you. Uh, and in fact, we have a brand new $1 contributor. Oh, excellent. Yes. Let us, let us humiliate him publicly. Yes, and that's what we intend to do. Brother nice. R. Scott Hoover handed me a $10 bill and said, here, this is for sponsorship for the next 10 months uh, for the podcast. <laughs> and he's, he said, if you want, uh, you can advertise that I'll do painting. Uh, and if you have my phone number, call me. And if you don't, well, that's just too bad. You know, Pete, if we invest that $10 in the Tall Cedars Fund, in, in, uh, in 100 years, it will be worth $10.04. That's correct. So that I, correct. just, you know, that, that could be a thing. That, that's a windfall. R. Scott tried to give me that $10, and I was already <laughs> uh, four Jamisons deep. And <laughs> I said, I politely, I politely declined. Smart play. I said, to be trusted with it because it'll just go to the bartender if I think. <laughs> so uh, please uh, help us out by joining and becoming one of our Patreons. And then we also want to thank our uh, official cigar sponsor, uh, Hiram and Solomon. Uh, some of you that have been around events that we've been to recently know that uh, we have a stash of cigars that they sent us. And uh, if you uh, have us at one of your events, uh, one of us will probably show up with some cigars to sell you. And the proceeds from those uh, come back to help support the show as well. And we have little masks with little tiny holes in them that you can yeah, put Yeah, so you can in. smoke your cigar through your mask. Exactly. Exactly. So, uh, Jack, uh, why don't you uh, take <laughs> off and uh, introduce our guest? Um, I, I will do that, Tim. Thank you for, uh, for queuing me up there. And um, actually, our, our guest is our guest tonight because Tim said, Jack, this guy should be our guest. So here we are. <laughs> yes. 
You like the way I delegated that. I love that. I, it was brilliant. And uh, so, um, <laughs> as, as I said earlier, I, I did um, I did a deep dive on Albert Pike, and um, I um, I read the in- entirety of Morals and Dogma without really understanding any of it. So um, now that I'm farther in, I can get it a little better, I think. And uh, so when the idea of having some a, a Pike expert on, um, that, that intrigued me. So Josh, um, you, are, uh, you are Masonically involved in Blue Lodge, York Rite, Scottish Rite, um, Cottage Cheese, whatever else you're involved in. Give us a little bit about you and then tell us uh, how it was that Albert Pike caught your fancy. Well, let me start by saying, uh, while it's acceptable to my palate, cottage cheese is not a part of my routine. Um, <laughs> but uh, and also, we should be clear: I, I don't really identify as a Pike expert, but uh, I do think uh, I'm currently a Pikean scholar. You could say, um, Pikey, Pikean. Did you just make that up? Yeah. Oh yeah. All right. Definitely. I like it. I like so, it. I'm using it. So uh, I, I don't want to really be unleashed. I don't like to be unleashed because then we could be here for two hours. Uh, but uh, I did kind of get a, a general kind of overview. I didn't know if you guys wanted to ask me questions or if you wanted me to just uh, kind of fit my notes or how exactly you wanted to. Well, uh, let, let's start with how did you how did you come how did you become aware of Albert Pike? and his importance in Freemasonry or his overblown, I'm sorry, his very uh, popular importance <laughs> in Freemasonry. Right. So uh, I, it kind of just, uh, it, it was just a name for a while, to be honest. Uh, it, it, I guess, you know, because he's a, a supposed to be this famous Scottish Rite person and that's uh, very revered. And so, it, you know, it kind of comes on your radar uh pretty quickly, even if you, you know nothing about them or stuff, because most people don't really, I mean, I don't want to generalize, but a lot of people don't take the time to, to study the people that our, our organizations uh, continue to, to keep in, in legend or circulation, you know, so to speak. True. Uh, so, you know, and I, but that's something I really enjoy doing in general. Uh, I, I'm kind of known as a person that likes to study and research people's uh, both their heroes and villains to kind of try and decipher the individual's true mode of being, uh, just out of curiosity, purely curiosity. And, and I, I, you know, you kind of attack it with both logic and literary analysis uh, so you can get multiple perspectives. But, but in general, he came on the radar uh, recently because of uh, current events, uh, his statue coming down, um, you know, kind of doing some research on Black Lives Matter and also uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion and how that plays into racism and racialization, you know, uh, just, you know, facts about today. Uh, and, and also I've been making friends with a lot of uh, Prince Hall Association brethren, uh, so I'm kind of getting into Pike's association with them and his history with them and also... Uh, being in Scottish Rite, you get interested, and and also Pike crossed a lot of the same fields that I'm interested in or are part of my own uh, career, whether it's 
you know, philosophy, psychology, linguistics, those topics. But honestly, all those things kind of stirring together and my own nature of wanting to, you know, prove are the good guys good or the bad guys bad, you know, I, I just kind of checked out Amazon and saw, holy smokes, I can get all these different texts printed. You can get his lectures, his letters, uh, his artistic books, the morals and dogma, all those things are available on Amazon, uh, surprisingly. Uh, be, uh, I don't know uh, if you can get like his ritual or anything like that, but, but you can get a lot of good uh, texts through Amazon, surprisingly. I, it, you know, uh, so once I did that, it, uh, it, it kind of uh, solidified things to the point where, I, okay, it was time to present. <laughs> So uh, just you could you could almost pick any topic on the wheel, and Albert Pike was involved in it somehow or another. He mm-hmm. was to call him a polymath is almost an understatement. He was he was a religious scholar. He was a linguistic scholar. He was uh, he was he was studying all of the interrelationships between all these things. He was military. He was uh, he was political. Uh, he was he was all of this at a time when the country was just exploding westward, and let, let's talk, Josh, if you have, um, if you can, and I'm sure you can, um, about the um, the part of his political military career um, that involved the Native American um, dilemma or, or uh, uh, just the the horrible treatment of the Native Americans. Um, Pike Pike was very much involved in trying to do the right thing for, for that population. So did you tell us a little bit about that? Well, so uh, I can, uh, that is actually touched on, on the part of, uh, that I have prepared here in my notes, because uh, I j- jumping ahead uh, a little bit, the question, and I, I know that uh, I'm probably jumping ahead on somebody, but, but uh, it was how did my view of Pike evolve, and and exactly what you asked me is addressed in because this is the easiest way that's going to keep me uh, within the time frame and make it um, distinguishable and and understandable for for multiple audiences. So so he really uh, has an interesting experience. And uh, when I first looked into Pike, I thought here's a creepy old Confederate with. Uh, alleged ties to the KKK. This is my notes that I'm reading from, so bear with me. Uh, And then I kind of, uh, by reading him backwards, I kind of loved him at first because there was that kinship of of being a a polymath and having the touch, you know, I I don't have a political career, but I I certainly study enough uh, politics. I don't have a military career. I did spend two years training to be an officer in the Army. But, uh, for reasons that don't need explained, I, I just it wasn't for me um, on a lot of uh, levels. But then, the reading him backwards, I, I kind of thought, oh, this guy's kind of interesting, you know. Um, you know, keeping on the back burner, of course, all the negative uh, uh, history about him. So then, when I got deep into that, I read an important text. Uh, it was his addressing uh, the reason to secede from the Union in 1861. It was really clear to me that I really didn't like him, and I and I almost hated him while I read that, uh, because even though you want to love him because of how articulate he is and how intellectual he is, the way he 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 uh, expresses himself in in that uh, antebellum time period, uh, 
he he is very interesting, but he's he's pushing for states' rights, but specifically Southern states' rights, which he is including slavery, chattel slavery. Uh, so so I did not like him uh, reading him before the war. And, of course, we know he's a Confederate, but you find out that he actually wasn't a Confederate very long. He had disagreements exactly over the topics where you were talking about, the treatment of indigenous peoples and, and their rights. Um, so then I read his letter to the Choctaw Nation, which is, I got uh, printed, uh, I forget the, the press, but it was, again, I purchased it through Amazon because I don't have time to go anywhere, and, and it's not really safe to go everywhere. <laughs> so, you know, we got to buy online. Uh, but in the letter to the Choctaw, he really uh, said a lot of things that really touched me. And this, of course, is 1870s, uh, late, uh, later, eight, 1871, I think, that, that he's expressing himself in this letter, actually very similar to the way I, I express myself. I mean, he... He specifically finds moments in, in uh, about uh, uh, describing a hatred for white male behavior and bigotry within people that look. He he says, "quote People like that look like him have treated other people unfairly." And you know, he makes a very uh, and, and again, 1870s. Everybody's racist, so so you so nobody is is uh, openly. Uh, uh, expressing the rights of others or civil rights, and of course we might call it human rights. Right? Well, there were there were people that were. I mean, there was oh, there certainly were, were. In New York and New England, but absolutely. But so in in your in your reading of that letter uh, to the Choctaw Nation, was it as much about um, was it as much about human rights as it was about violating the the honor? of the treaties that had been made they, yes. because every, every treaty that was broken was, was a broken, broken promise, right? It was, it was a violated honor. And, and Pike was very specific about honor in the world. Yes. It wasn't mainly about human rights. There were a couple of things he said in there that, that can be interpreted, however, but, but you're right. It was, it was very much about honor. It was about, uh, he had been betrayed by the person that broke the contract a couple of times, you know, so it was definitely very much, uh, you almost might, it, it, it felt, uh, something between, uh, uh, but he, but he did have a kinship with the indigenous people from his time, uh, in during the civil war being that serving in Indian territory. But uh, it, I don't think that it was a any kind of manifesto for human rights. But I found it interesting to note that in the 1870s, Pike is expressing himself in in a kinship with indigenous people, and as well as specifically, at least I'd say five times, he he does address it as uh, white the white man or men that look like him doing negative things. Specific, you know. yeah. So, if you want to see examples of this, you should uh, watch Little Big Man, uh, the movie. It, it's uh, it, it absolutely, absolutely <laughs> plays it right out. Um, so, so, so Pike was, in fact, um, he wasn't Secretary of the Interior. What was his? He was Secretary of of Indian Affairs or, or, or something specific like that. That he was um, appointed after the war. Um, 
to to manage the relationship between the American government and the the Indian nations. He was a lawyer, um, right? Fighting for them, right? Yes, uh, for many of the the nations, he fought for them to get land or, at the very least, monetary compensation, things like that. Uh, you know, again, none of this is meant to be engaging in apologetics for racist behavior before Civil War by Pike. But but we're engaging in these these thoughts about um, how his his uh, milieu or his uh, almost like his personality changed uh, later on, possibly influenced by Freemasonry. As it would, I mean, uh, uh, if you've gone through something as as calamitous as the Civil War. Well, he also went through a lot of suffering. I mean, he had a lot of close family members die back to back to back. Uh, so he also lived with a lot of suffering that, that can change someone over time, too. Sure. Uh, so really, you know, not that I've concluded yet, because I do have some reading to do, but at this time, I kind of left it at, he's kind of mysterious. You know, I don't, I can't, we can't exonerate him. There is definitely some hard, staunch supremacy, but I did find a lot of evidence that keeps him out of things like the KKK and, and that, uh, uh, I, you know, so in the, in the very least, you know, we want to appreciate his arc, you know, his, uh, his arch, uh, but not necessarily his, uh, pre civil war milieu of, uh, you know, probably white supremacy. Right. Uh, his changeability just, by by virtue of the nature of his humanity, right? He was a he was a human being, and because of circumstances, he grew and he changed. Yeah, and, that's and the arc, and and that's what Freemasonry should do for all of us. So so somewhere along the line, he finds Freemasonry. Uh, is that before, after, during all this? Uh, well, it, I do find him. Uh, he does gain membership before the war. But something to consider is antebellum Freemasonry moved a lot slower than it did now. So his ability to gain what we would consider Masonic knowledge uh, would have been, uh, you know, quicker than, than we would consider, but it still would have taken time. Uh, and it also back then, you don't have the Internet, you don't have, you know, people so easily accessible for communication and, and uh, you know, to, to kind of uh, get the information you need. Whereas back then, uh, it, everything was still very uh, secretive. So I can imagine it taking him quite some time to really, uh, you know, dive deep into some of those uh, philosophical meanings to kind of maybe come to a, a brighter humanity. Uh, ooh, that sounded good. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's all right. You'll be able to listen to it in a couple of days, so you'll write it. Yeah. Down. <laughs> so when so as he's going through this and he's he's exploring all these um, Masonic avenues of of whatever light is coming to him, and and at some point he puts it all together into writing. And and that's probably the biggest difference between then and now is that in order to communicate anything, you had to write it down. And mm. if you wrote it down, then it might still exist. So he's yeah. Uh, not to interrupt, but but it, I'm a publisher myself, and it, it's still really hard to to get a lot out. And he published a lot, a ton, 
a ton, even even before his his his. And it's not even Mortis and Dogma is not even his magnum opus. It's, it's right. It's one of the many many books that he wrote about uh, about so many things. I mean, he but, was definitely a psychologist. He published like the same way that like Freud and Nietzsche did. Hmm. So how does how does Freemasonry color that? Uh, that's a topic I'm not even remotely familiar with. Psychology? Or does it? Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, so uh, we won't get into that because I, I don't know how long how much time you guys en- enjoy the show. But uh, I have given a program before. If anybody. <laughs> no, seriously, if anybody ever wants. Uh, <laughs> I do get have the trust theme uh, on uh, the psychology and alchemy and Freemasonry. If anybody ever wants a free program, I think that's what it is. So yeah, I'd love to hear that. Well, so, let's uh, take a quick break. Let's take a quick break, and then we'll come back. With a, no, well, well, we just we don't want to make the guys listen for a half an hour straight. Right. They can take a break. We can sell something. We can pay for the show. Catch your breath. We'll come back. Yeah, we'll come back and. Uh, okay. Mute, we'll, mute my microphone and let Tim take the rest. Well, okay, later. <laughs> At the historic Smithton Inn of Ephrata, Pennsylvania, we're pleased to serve the latest creations from Weathered Vineyard Winery, along with spirits from Thistle Finch Distillery in Lancaster, all to be experienced in the tasting room of a beautifully restored 18th century bed and breakfast. Cigars by DNS Cigar are available for your enjoyment in the courtyard. The historic Smithton Inn is convenient to Lancaster County's most interesting attractions. Just minutes from the Ephrata Cloister and the Green Dragon Farmer's Market, and a short drive can get you to charming Lidditz, thriving downtown Lancaster, as well as Hershey, Bird in Hand, and Intercourse, or Valley Forge and Gettysburg. Whether you're looking for a romantic getaway or an active vacation full of sightseeing and attractions, the historic Smithton Inn will be a welcoming oasis from everyday life one that you'll want to visit again and again. Stop in and visit at 900 West Main Street in Ephrata, Pennsylvania, or check out our website at historicsmithtoninn.com, or simply call us at 717-733-6094. Just ask for Past Master Dave. And we're back. We're back with uh, our, our guest, uh, Josh Gersenlauer, who is a, a a currently a student of Pike, and he's all excited about all things Pike. I don't know about that, but <laughs> <laughs> hey, there's a quarantine. We're digging. We're digging deep in the. In the <laughs> uh, so Tim, you had you had a question to ask. Yeah. So Josh, we were talking before the break about um, you know the evolution of, of your thoughts about Pike and how that um, correlates to as Freemasons, um, you know, as we gain more light, um, we evolve in our Masonic journey. Uh, talk to us about what you discovered in that, your thoughts about that, etc. cetera. Uh, well, I mean, we, we kind of uh, glossed over it earlier uh, that uh, he does have sort of this arc uh, that we want to appreciate, you know, not necessarily, uh, his, uh, his pre-war, uh, milieu. I don't have a better word, uh, like his personality, uh, because, you know, I did 
want to mention that you you said evolve so like it, it's a great word choice because evolution means like always changing just like life uh, he has this experience that he sort of changes over time uh, whether it's uh because of freemasonry or, or his life experiences um i did kind of uh I, it was a little bit of a, and not, I don't want to use the term let down. That's not really the right term. I, I did go in with a little bit of prior knowledge that, that he might have uh, this racist past. And, you know, when you read about someone who's supposed, you know, when you're going over people's heroes, a lot of people don't always study the person's history. And then when you study it, you're like, okay, this, this person has this great arc, this great story, but it looks like he came from a, Pretty not so good, uh, not so what we would call uh, a good uh, place um, with the way he expressed himself towards other people and um, his beliefs about uh, people based off the color of their skin, etc. But, uh, you know, touching back to that kind of uh, the way I kind of my view of Pike evolved and how I kind of uh, really wanted to wrap it back to current events. Uh, in my presentation, and for anybody who ever wants to talk about Pike with me or why they knocked down his, his statue, uh, the most interesting thing to take note is that uh, there were a couple of brethren that had planned on uh, uh, removing his statue just because, whether it was out of fear of, of uh, because, because of all the other uh, statues, and take note, he is, I'm pretty sure he's one of the only Confederates to have a statue in D.C. You can yep. fact-check me on that. Um, and, but, and I but, but but hold on. That statue was not of him as a confederate. Right, right. And it I was, was of him as a legislator, right? And, and I touch base on that because he's right. not wearing his uniform. And I think right. I think the reason why he was, not not just because of his merit and, and all that other uh, good stuff, but I think that because he had a contested experience with Confederate Army, I don't. I think it had a lot to do, a lot more to do. Well, we don't know because without you know meeting him, sitting down with him at, and at the tavern and getting to know him, we don't know. But there had to be more to his disagreements to because he left the Confederacy in less than a year he, with disagreements with his superior officers. So I mean, and, and to be fair, uh, not many people know this. He's actually a Northerner. He was uh, from Boston, of all places. Yep. Um, so, uh, yeah, so, so, uh, as far as the statue is concerned, I, what I know of digging deep into Pike's head, he would have been there with the protesters finding a legal way to justify it, uh, because he wasn't really into statues anyway. Uh, he, he talks about how people glorify statues and, and forget about the people that the statues were put up for. So, so he is almost, uh, whether it would have been out of his own uh, pleasure for the protest because of being a, a kind of an aggressive lawyer himself, uh, or, or whether it would just be out of the sheer uh, fun of watching his own statue topple over, whatever we want to, uh, I think he would have been there leaning up against the tree, smoking his pipe, having a good time. Uh, but, but again, back to there were brethren that were going to move it uh, themselves just out of uh, for interest of the, the, the effigy, the peace and, and, you know, with all the other things going on. 
for whatever reason, they were going to remove it, but they went, they decided to be good, ethical people. They went to the city council. They asked permission. City council said, no, don't do that. Uh, and then sure enough, uh, not too many days later, uh, the public took it down themselves. But, but again, the, I, I want to be careful because it is sensitive. Uh, it's it, all these so topics are sensitive to some people, to, to different people. Uh, you know, so it, no, none of what I'm saying is trying to is disrespect anybody. Um, but I do feel uh, the kinship I found from reading his works and getting into his head. And when I say textual analysis, I mean his lectures, his letters, and his artistic writing. Uh, I don't think that it would have been a problem to him. I don't think that as Freemasons, we need to be hung up on on his statue uh, in a uh, orthodox way like that. Oh, I said it. <laughs> Drop the mic. Walk Drop off stage. Drop Jack's mic. <laughs> you know, so... <laughs> Uh, no, that, that's that's a that's a very valid point, and it's something that most people wouldn't think about. I'm sure um, Art De Hoyas might might uh, might right, echo, right. echo echo the same sentiments, you know. But uh, because he because he studied every word that that Pike has written, and, and he agrees that that there's no yeah. way that he was affiliated with KKK because of. Right. Uh, a number of reasons, but also people want to say that he wrote the ritual, but, um, but if you look at the ritual, it's very clowny. It's not Pikean, uh, Scottish Rite style, you know, elegant Greek right. philosophy. It's, it's junk. And, and, you know, and that's, you know, sorry, to, I'm sorry, not sorry, but, but the KKK rituals are junk. And so there's no textual evidence to tie him to them uh, as much as people want to, uh, it just doesn't, it just doesn't click. Uh, yes, we, we acknowledge he was a, probably a terrible, uh, in, at least in public, uh, white supremacist, uh, pre-war, but, uh, but we can tell that he, you know, changed in some ways post-war. Very definitely. So, um, you, you mentioned Greek philosophy. You see a lot of I, I've been on this bent for the last two years. Um, that that that's the part of the of Freemasonry that, for the largest measure, is missing today is the philosophical content. Um, mm. how, how radical was that in Pike's day? Was was that something that was there but not observed, or was did everybody get it, or what? What, what are your thoughts on that? So my thoughts on that are is. Uh, and this might be my own bias, but I think that it was uh, probably um, a lot more prevalent, a lot more uh, uh, part of the meat of, of Freemasonry, especially in antebellum America. But, uh, but on, the, on another uh, vibe, I'd have to say that uh, I think it's always been this same sort of uh, not everybody uh, – is really in it for philosophy. And if you've seen the presentation, I've seen it a couple of times where they go over, uh, there's a Masonic program out there, uh, that goes over the several ways people come to Freemasonry and why they stay, et cetera. Um, and 
only, uh, you know, some of us that we consider ourselves esoteric Freemasonry, uh, Freemasons that we have stuck around for the philosophical purposes. So I, I don't, I don't want to say that it, it was any more obvious uh, back then, but it, but I certainly think it was a more central uh, part of Freemasonry. Yes. Sounds like our five aspects talk. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah, think he probably yeah. joined for partying, um, but uh, yeah. So, so you could say that that some of them were at the bar and some of them were in the library. Is that what you're saying? And some of them were reading books in caves and discussing them. <laughs> right. Cool. So, well, what would you what would you say if if an entered apprentice mason said to you, uh, "I've got this morals and dogma book. Should I read it?" Hmm, that's a good question because that is, <laughs> you know, if it's an editor apprentice, so we're talking about a Blue Lodge editor apprentice, I guess I just say, I, I, anytime someone asks me, should I read, my answer is always yes. <laughs> because so many students do not and adults do right. not. But, but uh, so the answer would be yes. And then I would, I would tell them, make sure that you, seek out more of his titles especially i would always recommend someone read his 1861 his his big mag it's not a magnum opus in his lifetime but it was his uh speech to the people of louisiana of why they should uh become a slave state so so you know if you can get through that and still want to put his picture on your wall then, then you probably need some counseling. <laughs> uh, wow. You know, but 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 if you can appreciate his Masonic uh, experience, that I really do believe that that uh, something between his uh, own life experience through suffering, um, so many tragedies, uh, combined with probably his independent Masonic scholarship, which it, there's a lot out there. He did a lot. I mean, he was very, very active. I mean, it, you do not get remembered for a hundred years with, you know, without uh, being busy, being a busybody within the the Masonic organization. Sure. So, well, he defined uh, it for the next ten generations. Yeah. Right. So, some there's something something happened to him, and I know that uh, you know uh, I really want to make sure that people understand that even though uh, some people that were Masons at certain time periods, that, that doesn't mean that, that they were, he may have been an entered apprentice uh, before the war, you know, and that, you know, maybe he needed to, you know, get in touch with a few more books uh, or, or people or whatever, or something from ritual that, that touched him because it's really about the arc we're talking about is he had a change of heart. That's what I really uh, I guess what evolved about my view is I did see he evolved uh, through a, cha a change of heart. Well, Josh, um, you uh, you have these lectures. You you you've you've got one posted on YouTube, right? Uh, do you have the second one up yet? Uh, no, the the link is up, but uh, it'll be uh, streaming live on. The evening of December twentieth, so it'll be available. You can join us live, or it'll be available anytime 
on our YouTube channel, uh, Samuel C. Perkins, RAC 209, uh, December 20th, uh, 8 p.m., that night or anytime after that. So we'll have a link to that on our on our Facebook page. Uh, can we can we uh, connect to that and heckle you from the side? Would that be okay? Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Good. Count on pants, pants optional. Yes, yes, pants are optional. <laughs> COVID rules. So, uh, anything else, Josh, that that you'd like to share with us um, at this point? Uh, any other events coming up or? Uh, Pike-related stuff or Josh-related stuff that you'd uh, like the entire world to know about right now? And and Seven Planets? And seven Planets, yeah. Oh, and Seven Planets. Yes. The, the other people on all seven? Well, um, according to Larry, yes, and they all yeah, listen to the At least they, they have the ability to listen. Um, I guess just... Uh, Hope that everybody stays safe. I mean, uh, and healthy. I don't have any other. Uh, if anybody wants to reach out to me, they can. Uh, Jay Durst at uh, pharmacytheater.org anytime, and, and they can post that too. Uh, just if you want to arrange a presentation or have uh, want to have tea and talk about Pike, or if you're interested in joining York Wright, uh, just give me a holler. All right. Well, let's let's take our let's take our final break of the night, and we'll come back and wrap up. All right. All right. As far back as the mid eighteen hundreds, records exist describing the pre-meaning tradition of brethren smoking cigars during and after gatherings. To this day, the practice of smoking cigars remains very much alive in many lodges. This custom is considered a time for brethren to relax, exchange ideas, and enjoy the simplicity and fellowship that is the very essence of our brotherhood. This is what Hireman Solomon Cigars is all about. Our starting principles are to bring Masonic brethren together in the harmony of a good cigar. Pull up a chair, sit back, light up any of our premium cigars, and enjoy the history. Hireman Solomon Cigars can be found at fine cigar retailers. For a complete list, visit HiremanSolomonCigars.com or check them out on social media to find out when they'll be at a live event near you. Hireman Solomon Cigars is pleased to be the official cigar of the Masonic Light Podcast. Hello, brethren. Dutchy Duck is back with an update from my lodge, the Brogan Pla number 377. Well, actually, I don't have an update from my lodge this month. We had a very quiet November hybrid meeting with a few brethren in the lodge and more joining us on Zoom. Gladly there was no ridiculousness like back in September. I want to take this month's update to inform all of the uninformed brethren out there what a Pennsylvania Dutch Thanksgiving looks like. One that I have experienced every year of my life on this blue globe. It all starts on the day before Thanksgiving with the butchering of the turkeys that have been raised lovingly all year. 
Before the sun crests the horizon, our iron kettle full of water is coming to a boil and multiple pots of coffee have been brought out to the barnyard. The unlucky toms and hens let out their last few clucks. In all honesty, our turkeys only have one bad day in their life. Today's that day. <laughs> After a quick kill, the birds are passed off to the pluckers. I've been a little plucker since the age of five. Ironically, some people now call me a big plucker. In any event, the feathers are removed and off to the next table where the insides are turned to the outsides. And before you can whistle Dixie, the birds are cleaned and placed into stenners with cold water. At some point before 8 a.m., the first fermented or distilled beverages are passed around. When all of the work is done, my father starts his favorite part of the project, the weighing in. With a broad smile, the birds are weighed and their weight is called on. All of us are always amazed at just how much these birds grow in such a short time. The rest of the day is spent cleaning up and doing some light prep work for the big meal the next day. More fermented and distilled beverages are enjoyed throughout the day, of course. Thanksgiving morning, 5 a.m., I'm out of bed placing the bird into the oven. We Dutchies like to eat our Thanksgiving meal at noon, so the bird has to get going. The morning is spent drinking multiple cups of coffee and preparing all of the side dishes. Finally, it's time. Someone will call out, Zaitsueza, kom al buba, which is Pennsylvania Dutch for time to eat. Let's go, boys. The table is set with the hard work of yesterday, a bronze homegrown turkey, warm potato filling, a true Pennsylvania Dutch delicacy. Now, filling is mashed potatoes with sautéed onions and celery, bread cubes and enough butter to fill a churn, all mixed together and flash-baked to produce a nice brown crust. A bowl of cream-dried corn is on the table, as well as some cranberry sauce, at least two sweets and sars, apple butter and cottage cheese mixed just right, and of course some fresh-baked warm bread. Oh, and the gravy. Who can forget the gravy? A heartfelt prayer of thanks is given at a table with humble and gracious heads all bod. Four generations of our family hold hands and together we meditate on all that we have to be thankful for. Then it's schlock nigh. That's a common Pennsylvania Dutch phrase to say when it's time to eat. You should all use that from now on. No one speaks. No time to. Have to concentrate on the task at hand. After a filling meal, someone will bring the pumpkin pie to the table. Made from pumpkins, of course, grown in our own garden, and spiked to the hilt with rum. Ayama, is it delicious. At this point, we all help clean up and then slink to various corners of the Haas to breathe. At some point, we'll break out games of Haas and Peffer, a traditional Pennsylvania Dutch card game, and the rest of the day will be spent with games and the occasional libation. Discussion about the upcoming trip to hunting camp tomorrow morning will also be had. Slowly the day will fade to evening and that typical November moon will rise in the east. Another Thanksgiving is over. Another time to be with family is over. Another opportunity to make memories for years to come. Another opportunity to carry on traditions that span centuries. I wish all of you, my brethren, a most blessed and joyous Thanksgiving no matter where you are and with whom you are. Till next time, work hard, stay plumb, and out in the lights when you leave the room. To learn more about the Pennsylvania Dutch language, culture, and history, please visit my website, padutch101.com, or my YouTube channel. Just search Doug Maidenford.
Masonic News Today. As the worldwide COVID pandemic continues to drag on and the dreaded second wave closes the doors of Freemasonry for another undetermined period, Masonic Light Podcast would like to take this opportunity to offer these words of encouragement. This sucks. We miss our brothers. We want it to be over. But it isn't over. So until it is, remember, brothers, your obligations. And take care to consider the well-being of your brothers as inseparable from your own. And finally, this will one day end. And when it does, your dues payments will probably be late. (laughs) That's the Masonic News. So mode it was. <laughs> well, you know, I, that I may have been the most serious news Walter has ever brought us. But I know. Uh, I'm sorry. I had to put a joke at the end. It was very good. Yes. I'm going to point out that I do have 120 black Knights of Quarantine medals left. <laughs> <laughs> so so there is an upside now. to the quarantine. Yes. <laughs> I have a second wave of the sale of the second uh, wave of jewels. <laughs> That's what we need. All right. Tim, what are you up to in the next couple weeks? There you go. Well, um, it's still yet to be determined. Um, If if nothing else changes, which is a big if at this point, uh, Eureka West Shore Lodge number 302 will have its December stated meeting on Monday, December the 7th, at which time we will um elect our same officers again uh which will be the first it's it technically we're defining it as not a repeat uh rather a continuation uh because we have technically not had a repeat master since like 1870 so um but the determination was made that our current officers would continue another year um and other than that, uh, not a whole lot. I mean, all of our holiday programs have been canceled. I think the Valley of Harrisburg still has a holiday program on the on the agenda, but uh, with the restrictions, they may only be able to have like fourteen people. So, um, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, well, that's, really, that's five more than an extra meeting, But again, who knows at this point? Right. Josh uh, Lamberton, what do you have coming up? Anything? Nothing. Uh, no, our our meetings obviously are canceled, but um, we're going to be doing a uh, a Zoom Zoom get together on our stated meeting night. Um, I'm going to be trying to reach out. We had two candidates who are going to try to do two degrees for this month, uh, and that's not happening again. So I'm going to be trying to reach out to those guys. Um, but other than that, just uh, keeping the ship slowly sinking. Jack Harley. <laughs> Wow. Jack, what do you have going on? Well, I'm not in charge of anything this year, so I don't. Uh, Congratulations! I, 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 yeah, right. I was You're in charge of the Grotto's money. What are you talking about? Here, well, I'm in charge of a, a lot of people's money, but the the as far as running a any sort of Masonic group, I am not. So I go where I'm allowed to go and when I'm allowed to go. And I'm not going to lie. I, my, my, my wife, I mean, we've got, we've got a new baby and a grandbaby. And, uh, so we're traveling and doing some things that, um, you know, we didn't want to put anybody at risk. And that's why I was not at, at Grotto. I, I just, I did not need that exposure. So, you know, I mean, you know, take 
appropriate precautions. Don't don't be foolish. This is not this is not uh, worth risking your life or the life of someone you love about. Just uh, you know, that's all I'm doing. Josh Gershenlauer, so, what do you have? Anything Mason wise coming up? Uh, so. Uh, uh, Chapter 209's uh, year was kind of <clears throat> we kind of just chose to reschedule everything for next year. I mean, that's the way it ended up. You know how we kind of pieced out every couple of months. We got news. Um, so for now, um, all the officers have agreed to stay on for the next year. And uh, we will be holding a, uh, a Zoom on our regular stated meeting night on December 14th. Um, I believe uh, seven o'clock and uh, we'll be holding a brief election just uh, uh, and a kind of a how you doing kind of a brief uh, meeting. And then we'll obviously we'll have the uh, part two of Albert Pike presentation on YouTube on December 20th and that's 8 PM. It's a live stream. You can enjoy it that evening or any day after that. That's what we got going on in uh, uh, Royal Arch right now. Uh, what do I have going on? I've got uh, a lot of tall cedar stuff trying to get uh, the banking taken care of. And uh, a couple, Jack and I, I don't know if Jack probably isn't going, but uh, I'm going to risk limb and go to AMD on Sunday. Um, oh, I, I won't be in town, so I've already given my apologies. So I'll see if I still fit in my tuxedo, and uh, <laughs> I'll be there and enjoy the fellowship of uh, – a bunch of brothers. So that's it. Larry, why don't you take us home? Cue the chickens. So special thanks to Everett Lodge 665 for making their beautiful studio available to us. Also to our producer, director, Josh Lamberton, who continues to make the show great in spite of our efforts to make it bad. Also to Jack Harley, our news director, Tim Dedman, our marketing director, and to our special contributors, Douglas Maddenford, Jim Stevens, and Michelle Snyder. And uh, pretty much that's, that's it. I have really nothing to say. Uh, this will be aired after Thanksgiving, but uh, hope all of you had a blessed Thanksgiving and uh, hope things get a lot better. This is Larry saying thanks for listening.